Well, good morning. Church family, visitors, guests, it's so good uh, you're here. I'm glad you're here. We're all glad we're all here together. Uh, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Romans. Uh, so turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 15, page 643 in the Bibles provided. So the book of Romans is about a lot of things, but it's what we're kind of focusing on, what's kind of coming out of it is this idea that uh, we're to have dangerous faith. That our believing, trusting, faithful faith in Jesus Christ is to be dangerous. Not dangerous to people, but dangerous to sin and dangerous to brokenness and dangerous to, to despair. All those things that crush people's lives that at one point or another in our lives we've been kind of crushed by those things. And so God wants us to have dangerous faith, and he's using Paul in writing the Romans, uh, the book of Romans to give us a picture of what that is. And so as we go through each chapter in the book of Romans, little by little, we see different pieces of what dangerous faith looks like. Now, would you agree with me we're surrounded by brokenness and despair? You can face in any direction, and you will quickly run into Someone who is broken, someone who's in despair, someone who's struggling with sin. Um, I'll give you just three statistics. We don't really need a lot of statistics because we know the truth about brokenness already, but the fact that it's there. But just these three just kind of stood out at me as I just did a tiny bit of research. So one in 14 people in the United States struggle either with a drug or a alcohol addiction. One in 14. That's 20 million people. One in four American adults are lonely. They have no one. Their loneliness is so deep, they have no one to share their problems or their victories with. And 30% of teenagers report being sad or depressed because of stress in their lives. Now, if, if you don't have teenagers or it's been a while since you've been a teenager, uh, you may think, what do teenagers have to be stressed about? Uh, come with us on a Tuesday afternoon to Harvey High School. And I can show you what they are stressed out about. I had a conversation with a principal recently, just a, a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, I was asking him about, you know, life in school and so on. And, and he said, you know, Tim, my students can't ever escape the drama of their peers because of the social media and that phone in their pocket. We used to, I used to be able to go home and stress-free, you know, in terms of my peers, they couldn't find me. I was in my house. But now it all comes with them. And so uh, teenagers are uh, stressed. Actually, a study by the American Psychological Association showed teenagers are more stressed than adults. And you know how stressed out you are. And you've got some wisdom and some strength in your life. And imagine a young person who doesn't have the benefit of that being uh, stressed to a degree greater than you. So, so there's so much brokenness and despair. We know real people. We don't need really statistics because we know real people who are broken 
and in desperate situations. And we're all real people too, amen? And we all go through um, seasons of brokenness and despair. In fact, I know there are people in this church family who are in that season of brokenness and despair. So how do we help? How do we help our community? How do we help one another move from that place, that point of brokenness and despair to a growing connection with Jesus and his family so that we can experience the extraordinary life, the extraordinary life that Jesus has for us. Paul wrote the book of Romans. Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul. And Saul was the greatest persecutor of the church. So after Jesus was nailed to the cross, died on the cross, was buried in the grave, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and the church began to grow based on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Saul swooped in and led this movement to destroy the church. He was the greatest persecutor of the church. And then one day, he met Jesus. And Jesus transformed his life. Saul went from the greatest persecutor of the church to a follower of Jesus who would become one of the great missionaries of the church. And he wrote about 50 or 75% of the New Testament. But I know there was a moment, there had to have been a moment, that first day that Paul was a follower of Jesus where he was completely broken completely undone. And here's why. Here's why I know he had to have that moment. Because he had to think, Jesus has transformed my life. But there are people in prison because of me. There are people who are dead, like Stephen, because of me. It must have been can you imagine his brokenness? Oh, I had it all wrong. Jesus, I know who you are now. All those things that I did to people, those horrible things, the sin toward God and to others was horrific. He must have had this tremendous season of brokenness. But thanks be to God, Paul was transformed through his relationship with Jesus. Jesus moved from Paul, or, or Jesus moved Paul from his sin and his brokenness and his despair into this growing connection with his Savior and this growing connection with God's family, the followers of Jesus. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, it says this, And God was doing extraordinary, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So after meeting Jesus, Paul's faith became dangerous. He was no longer dangerous to people, but now he is dangerous to sin and to brokenness and despair. Through his believing and trusting and faithful faith in Jesus, Paul lived an extraordinary life, an extraordinary life. And so this is what we want to talk about today, living an extraordinary life. 
Now bear with me because in the first service I realized I said the word extraordinary, extraordinary, about a hundred times. That's a hard word to say. I like great adventure better. Amen? I say that all the time. The great adventure. All right, so when you hear extraordinary life, think extraordinary life. When you hear great adventure, think extraordinary life because the Bible called Paul's life extraordinary. So we'll use that word even though it's hard to say, okay? Amen? All right, so living an extraordinary life. Some of you currently live extraordinary lives. And my encouragement for you is keep living. Keep living, but bring others with you. Bring others into your extraordinary life. Some of you may be in a season of ordinary living. And here's my encouragement to you today. Don't stay there. Jesus has something way better than the ordinary. He has an extraordinary life. Who woke up this morning said, I want to be ordinary. See? We all want to be extraordinary. So don't stay there. Some of you may, maybe faith in Jesus is, is something new. And so my encouragement to you today is listen to what an extraordinary life looks like. And decide, is that what I want in my life? I think of Margie's testimony. Margie was living an ordinary life, gave her life to Jesus, but then lived in the ordinary until she decided, I want more than that. For some of you, maybe faith in Jesus has become ordinary. Brokenness and despair have overwhelmed your life. And you feel like you're just trying to hold on. And I get that. I've been in that place. So this morning, be encouraged. Be encouraged because Jesus is here for you. And your church family is here for you. And if you feel like you're just holding on, ask for help. You know, we say no one stands alone. But we don't have a crystal ball. And so if you need help, you need to say, hey, I'm about, I'm about to fall. I need someone to stand with me. So wherever we're at today, know this. Jesus wants us to live an extraordinary life. And so at this time, I'm going to invite Becky Steffens to come up. She's going to read uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 15 through 23. Come on up, Becky. These verses have much of the answer about living the extraordinary life. This is um, Romans six fifteen through 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves 
of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from these things of which you now are ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what's the opposite of death? Life. We think of ourselves as alive until we are dead. On a wanted poster, it says wanted, dead, or alive. Well, in this passage, Paul gives us two choices, but they aren't death or life. Death is one, but what is the other one? Romans 6, verse 16. Let me read it again. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness so door number one is death physical spiritual eternal door number two is righteousness a life pleasing to god in verse 16 19 21 and 23 paul sets this comparison up verse 19 slaves to impurity and lawlessness leads to more lawlessness slaves to righteousness leads to sanctification Go back to verse 16. Slaves to sin leads to death. Obedient to Jesus leads to righteousness. Verse 21. The fruit of sin is death. The fruit of righteousness is sanctification. And the end state of sanctification is eternal life. And verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So sin leads to death, and obedience to Jesus leads to righteousness. And both doors are free. Both doors are unlocked. We can choose death or we can choose righteousness, a life pleasing to God. When we choose death, we're choosing to live a life centered on ourselves. This is ordinary living, the commonplace, the normal standard. We can freely choose this. Ordinary life is a life centered on self. But when we choose righteousness, a life pleasing to God, then we step into extraordinary or extraordinary living. And this extraordinary life is free. Both doors are free. Now, extraordinary life is free for two reasons. First, it's free because Jesus paid for our sins. He paid the price so that we could enter through that door. It's free to us, but it costs Jesus everything. He bought with his blood 
our righteousness. And an extraordinary life is also free because when we respond in faith to Jesus, he freely forgives us and he freely regards us as righteous. We do nothing to earn forgiveness. We do nothing to earn righteousness. So an extraordinary life in Jesus is free, bought by the blood of Jesus and, and, and when we put our faith in Jesus. Have you ever noticed that free sometimes is taken granted of? Take, we take for granted something that's free. You get free tickets to something, the last minute you're like, nah, don't really want to go. But if you paid for them, it's like, we're going. Nothing will stop us. Both doors are free. But I know in this room, I know this church family, we do not take for granted what Jesus did on the cross, the price he paid for our lives. It's free, but we don't take it for granted. So how do we live an extraordinary life? Begin, we begin by choosing it. We have to choose it in order to live it. So when we choose door number two, righteousness, a life pleasing to God, we're choosing to live an extraordinary life. So let's put our names then in Acts chapter 19, verse 11. You with me? So when I, we're going to say the word, and then in the blank, I want you to say your name. I know, it's like, I don't want to talk at church. All right, I grew up in a church where you couldn't talk. You weren't allowed to. You walk in, no talking, walk out, no talking. We can talk here. Amen? All right. So here we go. So say your name. Say the whole thing, but say your name when it gets to the blank. Okay, ready? And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of... Awesome. That feel good? You know, think about it. If God can do extraordinary miracles through a man like Paul, who is the chief persecutor of the church, who put people in prison and put people to death, if God could do extraordinary miracles through him, he can do extraordinary miracles through you. Do you believe that? God has an extraordinary life for you. And he offers it freely. Free, extraordinary life. And once we make our choice to live an extraordinary life in Jesus, God then prepares us for this extraordinary life that he has for us. Verse 17, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. You have become obedient from the heart. When we respond in faith to God's free offer of an extraordinary life, we become obedient from the heart. We become. Who does the becoming? Jesus transforms our hearts so that our desires change. We desire to be obedient to God. In our hearts, we desire to follow Jesus. This is the transforming of the heart that happens. Our attitudes change. We move from, I have to go to church. I have to do this. I have to do this for God. i got to be a good guy for God or I'm going to get smoked to, I get to follow Jesus. I get 
to follow the creator of the universe who loves me and proved it on the cross. I had a brief conversation this week with a person I'd never met before, and uh, this person brought up the subject of going to church. They first told me, well, I don't go to church. Just that's not my thing. And then, and then kind of maybe to kind of smooth things out, I, I was, she brought it up. I, I, it was okay. And, and uh, she said, um, but my sister went to church for a while, and then they started bothering her. And I immediately thought, oh, they must have asked her for money. And, but I, I wasn't sure. So I said, well, what, what do you mean they started bothering her? And, and she said, they started asking her to do stuff. I was, I was like broken, like, oh, missed it. Her sister was going to church for herself. She's focused on herself instead of pursuing an extraordinary life with Jesus. And so being asked to do something was offensive because she didn't want to do it. She was just there for herself. She was pursuing what she wanted rather than pursuing who she got to be by following Jesus, by pursuing an extraordinary life with Jesus So when we choose to live an extraordinary life in Jesus, you ready for this? When we choose to live an extraordinary life in Jesus, we should stop going to church. Did you hear that? Uh, Let me say it again. That's right. If you're choosing to live an extraordinary life in Jesus, stop going to church. By the way, this is not going to church. This is the family of God, this local church family called Kirtland Christian Fellowship, coming together to worship God and to serve one another and to care for one another and to love one another. Extraordinary living is not about going to church. It's about being the church. And so part of being the church is when someone in our church family is hanging on. They are desperate and broken, maybe struggling with sin. Part of being the church is we come alongside them and we help them grow in their connection with Jesus and with the church family. So when we choose to live an extraordinary life in Jesus, God transforms our hearts and also it says he sets us free from sin. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. God sets us free from sin. It doesn't mean we never sin again, but we're not trapped by sin. We have a choice. We have strength to overcome sin. So God sets us free from sin as he prepares us to live Extraordinary lives. The extraordinary life he has for us. Now go with me for a minute. You've been sentenced to life in prison. No chance of parole. You're done. They locked you in a cell, threw away the key, right? Same cell, same food, same time schedule. Lights go on, lights go off. Same time every day you do exactly what you're told to do, when you're told to do it, how you're told to do it. You have no options. You with me? 
That's horrible, right? Don't ever do anything to put you there. But imagine one day, right? Life sends, they threw away the key, but the warden comes and he opens your cell and says, you are free to go. Can you feel it? That gives me goosebumps. You're free to go. And you walk out of your cell and you walk out of the gate of the prison and you are free. Free to go. When Jesus sets us free from sin, he says, you are free to step out of your prison cell and into the newness of life. You're free to live now an extraordinary life. When we're set free from sin, we begin to become the amazing people that God created us to be. Then we can move from sin and brokenness and despair into a growing connection with Jesus and his family. But it doesn't stop there. Then we can also help others move from their sin, despair, and brokenness into a growing connection with Jesus and his family. Inmates released from state prisons have a five-year recidivism rate of 76.6%. That means within five years, three of four people who are let out of state prison, a state prison, are back in a state prison. Yeah, Linda said, that's terrible. That's terrible. How is that possible? I can't admit, do any of those people who step out of prison go, can't wait to get back sometime in the next five years? That rate has got to be zero, right? Nobody wants to go back. Maybe there's a couple people. World's too tough and prison's a better place, but pretty much zero. So why do three quarters of people who leave a state prison are, get, are back in that prison within five years? It's because they follow a path that leads back to prison. Listen to what Paul says to us about the path of extraordinary living in Jesus. Verse 19, the, the last half of verse 19. For just as you once presented your members, when he says members, he's talking about your whole life. He's not talking about a group of people. He's talking about your whole life, your whole, everything about you. So for just as you once presented all of you as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members, your whole self, as a slave to righteousness, leading to sanctification. The path of extraordinary living requires us to show up. It requires us to present ourselves to God. It requires us to report for duty. In the first service, I said that, <laughs> and our daughter Tara, who is um, seven weeks into her field training as a Cleveland police officer, Wow, sorry, walked in just when I said that, and I did this. You know, she's like, yeah, I'm home, work was great, and Betsy and I are like, it's home. What would it be like if she and 
their fellow officers didn't show up, didn't report for duty. The path of extraordinary living requires us to show up. Did you hear about the new diet? Did you hear about the new diet? Anybody? You're like, which one? Thank you. Thank you. Which one? There are so many. If you follow this diet, you're guaranteed to lose weight, save a lot of money, and a lot of time. You ready? Everybody wants to be on that diet, right? Weight, money, and time. Say yes. Help me out here. All right, sure. All right, so here's the new diet. So after church, you go to uh, any all-you-can-eat buffet, and for an hour and a half, eat as much food as you can. And then don't eat anything until next Sunday. Awesome, man. You will lose 5 to 10 pounds. Food budget, $5 a week. And you'll save about 10 hours a week because you don't have to prepare any food or eat any food. What's the problem with that diet? It's not sustainable, right? That path is not sustainable. If we only stuff our faces once a week, life will be unsustainable, and an unsustainable life leads to death. Something is going to die on that diet. The path for extraordinary living is also unsustainable if our pursuit of it is only on occasion, say only once a week. Think about it. If we do not present ourselves to God on Monday... Why would we expect Monday to be an extraordinary day defeating sin and brokenness and despair in our lives and the lives of other people? If we don't present ourselves to God, it's going to be an ordinary day. If we want to live an extraordinary life, we need to show up. We need to report for duty. We need to present our whole selves to God. Extraordinary living can only happen if we show up to experience it. So what do we do when we report for duty? Verse 17, And you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. The standard of teaching is God's word. He calls us to be committed to his word. What is your commitment to God's word? If you don't, and and when I say commitment to God's word, I'm like, yep, God's word is awesome. Love it. Yep, I'm committed to it. What's your specific commitment right now? Maybe it's, I'm going to read a chapter a day. Maybe there's a verse, I want to memorize a verse every week. Maybe it's, I'm journaling through the book of Romans as we're studying it. But have a commitment for the Word of God. If you just say, yep, it's a great book. I love it. You won't experience extraordinary living. We're called to be committed to His Word. So the path of extraordinary living requires us to show up every day and have a commitment to God's Word. I gave my life to the Lord, I would read my Bible 
in the morning. And I usually fall asleep after five minutes. I didn't understand it. And I was too tired. Six kids or however many we had then. <laughs> Probably not six because it was before they all came along. But there is a consistency. And I won't say every day, but almost every day. Read a little, read a little, read a little. And it began, to, it started to make sense. And I read a little more. And I started reading at night. It was great to fall asleep reading the Bible. Some people think, how could you do that? That's the best thing to do. The last thing you think about is God's Word. Just have a commitment to the Word, whatever it is. Make a commitment. And live an extraordinary life. Verse 17 and 18 calls us to be obedient to the word and slaves to righteousness. We're called to join God in his work of bringing his love and good news to the world. We're called to help our community, help one another grow in their connection with Jesus and his family. That sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? That's a lot of work. I have to help other people grow in their connection with Jesus and his family. Now Pastor Tim's starting to bother me. He might ask me to do something. No, you guys are great. You always respond. In August, tens of thousands of teenagers engage in this ritual. All across the country, teenagers spend essentially the entire day in the month of August doing this ritual called Two-A-Days. Two-a-days, football. They spend the whole day practicing football. That sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? The whole month of August. Can you imagine the month of August in Texas? What Texas two-a-days are like? Bad enough in Ohio. So that's a lot of work, isn't it? Practice football all day long. Ask a high school football player, do you like two-a-days? They'll be like, what, are you nuts? When we join God in His hard work of helping others grow in their faith. It's hard. But we'll experience an extraordinary life. We'll see victories. We'll see people's lives transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see people overcome sin and brokenness and despair. Jesus told His disciples, come and follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. That sounds like a lot of work. Come follow Me. Let me paraphrase it. I will put you to work helping others experience the extraordinary life that you have. So the path to extraordinary living includes serving alongside Jesus. And yes, some days will be like a two-a-day in the heat and sun of August. And so the path of extraordinary living requires us to show up. It requires us to have a commitment to God's Word. And it requires us to serve alongside Jesus. And, and as we walk on that path, the Holy Spirit gives us fruit. Verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. What fruit do we receive from the Holy Spirit when we're living an extraordinary life? We receive all of it. 
every promise in the Bible is true, and we receive all of it. We get all the fruit. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Who doesn't want that? We get the fruit. It's called purpose for living. No matter what our circumstances are, we have purpose to help others move from their point of need to a growing connection with Jesus and his family. We get all the fruit, we get purpose, we get courage, we get gifts used to serve others, we get inspiration, we get life. We get all the fruit. Jesus summarized it this way. I've come that you may have life and have it what? Abundantly. So how can we live an extraordinary life? It begins by choosing to live an extraordinary life. And then experiencing God's transforming work in our hearts and setting us free from sin. And then we journey on the path of extraordinary living. The path where we show up, where we're committed to God's Word, where we serve alongside Jesus, defeating sin and brokenness and despair. The path of living extraordinary, an extraordinary life is the path of Jesus. The ordinary is pursuing what we want. The extraordinary is pursuing who we get to be in Jesus. And the result is sanctification. We grow more and more free from sin and more and more like Jesus. Living an extraordinary life is about who we're becoming and not what we're doing. In fact, living an extraordinary life has nothing to do with who you are today. Who you are today doesn't matter. Who you're becoming as you walk with Jesus is what matters. You know, Margie shared, when Margie shared, she's like, man, you know, I, I had to hold it all in because there were ladies in the church who'd be like, yeah, I got up at 5 o'clock, read my Bible for an hour. In the first service, she said, then I cleaned my whole house. And then, it doesn't matter where other people are at. Because they were right where Margie was at some point in their life. It's who we're becoming. Who we're becoming. Not who we are or who we were. But who we're coming. Who we're becoming. Tomorrow's Monday. Hallelujah. Because tomorrow can be an extraordinary day. It can be an extraordinary day if you show up committed to the Word and serving alongside Jesus to help others move from their point of brokenness to a growing connection with Jesus and His family. Let's pray. Lord, we want tomorrow to be extraordinary. And it will be because you are the king of the universe. Lord, we want to be part of your extraordinary day tomorrow. And so, Lord, we want to show up. And so we ask that nothing would get in the way of that. Not our own hearts, not our own minds, not any circumstance around us, 
that would get us off track, Lord, we want to show up tomorrow. And Lord, we want to connect to you through your word. And Lord, we want to serve alongside you in your work. And we want to experience the fruit. And the greatest fruit, Lord, is when we see other people's lives transformed by the power of your truth and your spirit. And so, Lord, we are reporting for duty for an extraordinary day tomorrow and on Tuesday and next week and for this life that you've given us. Lord, thank you for the gift of extraordinary life. Lord, we step into that life that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now, and for more info, including sermon outlines, visit our website at www.kurtlandchristian.org.